Hey everyone, thank you for tuning into Hannah and Eric Go Birding. We're a couple of bird brains looking for adventure and some birds. I'm Hannah and he's Eric. And we bring you this podcast to share our adventures with you and talk about random other thoughts on birding topics. Just a couple of disclaimers, we're not experts. And if we discuss any controversial material, we hope you keep an open mind. But also remember, what we discuss, it's our own opinions. In this episode, we had a chance to sit down with a couple of friends during the Rio Grande Valley Birding Festival. This is our part two of our birding festi- Rio Grande Valley Birding Festival podcast. Um, we should keep the intro pretty short, though, because the interviews were a little longer than normal. So sorry about that, guys. Hope you have a longer commute today, I guess, or not. I feel like that's mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess that happens sometimes. Um, not everyone can be as professional as NPR, even though we do sound that way. We just sound just like them, don't we? Yeah, exactly like Terry Gross. <laughs> okay, real quick. Uh, any birding news? Yes. So Christmas bird counts are coming up soon. Uh, they fall within December 14th to January 5th. And it's a great way to introduce yourself to the birding community in the area. That's one of the ways that we try to get connected with other birders oh, is yeah. by going out on Christmas bird counts and they're a lot of fun they are yeah so check um online you can just type in christmas bird count to like a google search and you'll find it uh but be prepared for a long day and dress appropriately for the weather i feel like we never do yeah i feel like no matter where we do it it's cold like the valley houston it's always cold yeah i don't it's always but it's also december so let's do it in like columbia one year yeah columbia or somewhere even further south just like into peru or something (laughs) it'd be cold then (laughs) Um, so just a couple of birds of note, uh, golden crown warbler. It's a cold four. Yes, um, it is. we've been talking about <laughs> it for like, I feel like months now yeah. on the podcast, just in our birding notes that has been seen regularly and the roadside hawk, which is code five in the Rio Grande Valley. That was excited. Exciting. I was, I was excited and it was exciting. <laughs> I was excited. We were exciting. <laughs> yeah. So um, we were lucky enough to get both of those while we were down in the valley. Yeah. And we didn't even really have to wait that long. Oh, yeah. I, so, I kind of feel bad for some of the people that spent all day there. Some birders waited for that warbler for like eight hours oh, at Frontera. We got it within, well, I mean, we spent an hour. Try. Yeah. <laughs> the first time. And then the second time we got it within like 10 minutes. So, yeah. pretty cool. Um, just another odd bird that we wanted to mention is a white-crowned pigeon that's been seen in Ontario. Yeah, so we headed all the way down to the Keys to get our white-crowned pigeon. So, I guess the white crowns are headed north? Well, one popped or the up. one? <laughs> one popped up in uh, a South Padre Island. Javi saw it. Oh, that's true, yeah. Right before the festival. Yeah. A month before the festival. Maybe it's the same one. It's just had. It's just all over the place. Just, <laughs> yeah. just roaming the whole country. It's like, I want to go on a tour. Yeah, he's so lonely all down in the Keys by himself. With all his other white crown buddies. Uh, well, let's get right into our interview with Mary. She is a fantastic member of the whole Rio Grande Valley Birding Festival team. And just somebody that is integral to the Rio Grande Valley Birding community. Oh, yeah, she definitely. has the ABA alert. Or, I'm sorry, the, the rare, rare, bird alert. rare bird alert down there. And she's also the eBird reviewer. So Yeah, for the entire she, valley, she, which is a massive job. Yeah, she's busy. An insanely massive job. <laughs> so as part of the festival, she's the guide leader. And she's responsible for finding, organizing, and directing all of the bird guides. And I think there's like 50 of them or something. There's, yeah, there's, there's a ton of people. A lot of people to find and vet yeah. to get down. And one of the things that I love about being a guide down there is that like they take care of, you know, getting us there and getting us put up in a hotel and we just have to enjoy the birds and like talk to people. I feel oh, like yeah. <laughs> we don't have a whole lot of effort on our part, which is great that she puts all that effort into it. Oh yeah. And it's just a super complicated job and she does a great job at it. So please enjoy our interview with Mary. Okay. So, um, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Mary Gustafson. I'm a bird guide here in the lower Rio Grande Valley. So how long have you uh, been in the Rio Grande Valley? I've been in the Rio Grande Valley now for 13 years. 13 years. So have you been guiding the whole time you've been in the valley? No, I was working on a bird conservation initiative, and then about two years ago I went to being a bird guide and a consultant. The whole festival. So we're, we're at the Rio Grande Valley Birding Festival. Have you been involved? How many years have you been involved with the festival itself? Oh, I started guiding as soon as I came down, which was a big mistake. hadn't learned the sights yet hadn't learned the birds yet but because i lived locally they said oh here go and they told everybody else mary knows where she lives here 
Oh, so of I was course. like, oh, I haven't ever been to this little pond that you're talking about. Where is it? <laughs> you get directions and have no idea get where, where the no birds idea. are there. You, uh, well, like we're in Harlingen. It's like being on the wrong side of the tracks. I never come to Harlingen. <laughs> yeah. Not never. But I, I don't bird in Harlingen except when I'm here for the festival. And then I do a lot of poking around in the city parks and different places. But I live all the way across the valley at the other end of the valley in Mission, <laughs> which is like 45 minutes away. A whole 45 minutes. <laughs> But That's, usually if I'm in Harlingen, I'm going to South Padre Island, or I'm going to Brownsville, or I'm going yeah. to work somewhere, and it's not somewhere I stop every day. So I really like coming here for the festival, and the festival puts me up in a hotel, and I come over and I move into Harlingen for a week, and it's fabulous. <laughs> I get to bird somewhere different. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was something that we've, we've since we've been coming here to the festival the last two years, is we never spend any time in Harlingen when we, when we lived down here. We were in McAllen, in Mission, and... The right side that, of the valley. That, that yeah. whole side of the valley. <laughs> and so we don't know. We don't have anywhere to go to eat dinner. Yeah, we're we we're trying to figure out, folks. like, well, where do you guys go for dinner? Where do you go for? We have no idea you where you go for dinner. You have to go to La Playa. La Playa. Okay, La that's Playa. what they were right. just telling me. That's what Simon was just La Playa. saying. Yeah. La Playa. Yeah. Right. Okay. They do this stuffed eggplant. It's a half mm-hmm. an eggplant that's fried, and they fill it with seafood and cheese. Oh man. And it's and they do it with an with an avocado too, but it's. It's a must-go place. And good margaritas? Of course. Okay. I forget what day they're $2, but, you know. Well, we just did one a pair of trips. Take a so chance on it. Yeah, you could probably afford it. <laughs> a pair of trip. Oh, yeah. That'll pay for it. <laughs> well, um, so you've been involved with the, the festival for many years. What drew you to coming to the festival or coming down to the valley in the first place? Well, work brought me to the valley. I worked at the U.S. Bird Banding Laboratory, and... Um, you know, the longer you're in one job in the federal government, the more people that retire, the more jobs that you're handed from those people. So I'd taken on the work of seven, and they were going to make it eight, and Oof. I ran screaming. Um, out of the, the office where I worked with virtual birds on a computer into the, the realm of trying to work on bird conservation initiatives. So I came here for the work, and then um, was approached very quickly because I was here and was out birding a lot, reacquainting myself with green jays and Inca doves and all these cool birds. Even though they were in my backyard, I just loved watching them every day I went out. Kiskadees, all these great valley birds. And Martin Hagney was doing the leader. No, it was Samita Prasad was doing leaders and volunteers back in the day. And so I watched her set up the spreadsheet and put the guide groups together and try to think about who will work well together and who knows the trails because you can't have a group with four people and no one knows the trails at a Santa Ana or a place with a lot of walking involved because that's just asking to get lost. And so I watched her do that and she offered to let me lead trips and I was busy on the weekend and that's when she really needed the most help. So I don't think I guided for her, but I guided for Martin Hagney um, starting, I believe, the next year. And it was, uh, like I say, it was interesting. I might have even guided that first year because I remember... Still calling it Olivaceous Cormorant because I hadn't made the switch in my mind to the new name of Neotropic Cormorant. That's how long ago it was. Let's just date it there. Um, and Martin Hagney had been doing the leaders and field trips as a volunteer for a long time uh, when he conned me into taking over by saying, if I wanted a pelagic trip and I was organizing the leaders and field trips, I could set up a pelagic trip as part of the festival. Yeah. So for one year, we on Sunday, I headed out of here at 4.30 in the morning or something to go over to South Padre Island to go out in a boat for 12 hours, come back in and drive back here with uh, van loads of people Oof. trying to fill a boat going out of South Padre Island. And we did a pelagic trip that year, and the next year, I believe we did one on a Monday. So we did it you know, Monday before the festival, and we did it Sunday during the festival, and they decided there was no way they would ever let me do Sunday during the festival again, because I could just not be gone. Because <laughs> I, I organized the leaders and field trips, but I didn't go on the trips. Mm-hmm. I organized the clipboards, made sure there were checks to pay the sites, made sure... And there were a lot more sites that we paid at the time. And so part of what I did, and Huck Hutchins helped me greatly with this, a volunteer from the Westlaco area, he contacted all the sites and just said, hey, would it be all right if you just send us a bill at the end of the festival for all our groups that go there, and we'll just pay you by check for all the groups? And all the sites except the state parks, which legally can't do that, yeah. said that was no problem. So we went from having a check go out on every trip to every site <laughs> to having checks going to state parks, which is two or three checks a day, which is That's, a whole lot less organizational yeah, work. Yeah. And a whole lot less things that can go wrong. Yeah. You know, I have driven out from here 
to one of the state parks to drop a check off because they forgot Lost to give it, it to them. Yeah, and we some <laughs> days we have three or four trips going to one park, mm-hmm. oh, so man. it can get it can get pretty hairy. But making out the schedule of how we're going to organize the groups so that there aren't too many groups at the park in one day that might collide, cause problems, or um, sites that might feel left out because they don't get enough traffic. Yeah, you know, we can have birders all wanting to go one place. They all want to go the best place. Sometimes the best place is you don't even know until the festival starts because they start yeah. finding birds and then every, suddenly everybody wants to go to this place that no one else has ever heard of. Yeah, well, that's, And that's the, part of the fun of it. Th- th- this year with, uh, with a roadside hawk that's being seen kind of just I think they're everywhere. all different roadside hawks. But I don't think they're all the same. They're, they're being seen in places that aren't normally like big hot ticket places like Napa. Like that's not like a place that... That's, we don't take a we don't take a bus there. That's not no, I, and giant. there's nowhere to to put a bus worth yeah. of people there. That's why yeah. we don't send the bus there. So we send the butterfly trip goes there, and certainly I go a lot of places there. I survey there every ten days or so and walk around looking for mm-hmm. birds or go down to the river and look for birds. And the area by the river is spectacular. Yeah, but it's it's not fast moving necessarily. There aren't a lot of birds there, but then they have a varied thrush and a roadside hawk. Right. Yeah. Got, got some crazy <laughs> Same stuff. Five days. Up. I mean yeah. that's just that's just outrageous. But imagine forty people looking for a shy bird like a varied thrush. Oh my gosh. They're not gonna see it. No. Mm-hmm. So, Definitely not. And the trails the woodland trails are narrow and other than that you're birding on roads and the roads can get very muddy. Like they're even difficult to walk on. They get greasy. They're the caliche, the local clay. Oh, yeah. and they get very slippery. Like, to walk like how on. Santa Anna gets how it's like how well Santa not cakey. Oh yeah, yeah not I guess that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of Santa Anna, yeah. But, but greasy, like slick, like okay, every, every other step, you think you're going to fall on your butt. You know, it, it's really, really greasy. Not, not, not fun when you have forty people trying. No, <laughs> no, and the average age might be even older than I am right now. So that that's definitely not fun. We don't yeah. want any broken bones just for oh, walking not, down to the river. Definitely not. Not to see a couple green jays. <laughs> no, no. So we try to send buses to areas that are large enough to hold a bus's worth of people mm-hmm. and two groups usually. Most bus trips will split into two groups and then the van trips give us the option to go other places okay so in your time with the festival is there like a goal what what would be a goal that you'd have i know you've been I have had new a, people i have had a lot of goals when i came in there was one hispanic leader there were a small number of women guides and some of them did things like the plant hike they used to have a plant hike that went to people's yards and looked at their gardens and hmm. looked at the birds that were there yeah um so that was guided by women, but there were fewer, maybe 10 to 15% women guides when I when I took over, and one Hispanic guide out of 50. And when I did a talk for the uh, diversity meeting that we had, ta- talking about trying to get diverse birders, I was asked to talk about what we'd done at the festival, and I said, look at all these Hispanic guides that we have now. We used the festival to train our local interpreters who were always told, oh, you're not good enough to lead at the festival yet. You have to be this level. This you level. have to be this good. You have yeah. to be an expert to be able to guide at the festival. And I look at it like you only, it's nice to have an expert on the trip. You don't have to have one. They can be a detriment. They can be so in, inept at communicating or connecting with people that they can yeah. be a detriment on the trip. You need people that know the birds pretty well, that know the sights, Someone on the trip needs to know, know the site. You yeah. can also have someone from out of the country going along and adding to the trip by helping everybody hear what the leader who, who knows the site is calling out and pointing out. They can make sure the back of the group hears it mm-hmm. so that everybody can participate and enjoy the trip and not just the people that are crowding the leader in front. Yeah. So you need the diva in front and you need the backup dancers. Yeah. Right. So everybody has a good time on the trip. And I try to group the trips that way and I try to start sending these local guides who had been working as interpreters working with school kids mostly young Mm -hmm. children in the valley and trying to get them interested in nature interested in science we started sending them on field trips at no cost we would not pay them and it was sort of like the first leader and training program we've more formalized that now the leader and training program where we're actually allowing people to come from out of state or in state out of the valley to help with the festival guiding as leaders in training. So we have four leaders in training um, this year, three young birders, and then um, a lady who's going to be running our, our birding for the handicap program, who oh, is wow. also handicapped herself. Okay. So she's going to be taking over those trips. So that's been really exciting. So we have the initiative for diversity of leaders. Um, 
and especially women. I mean, our, like I say, the women leaders were less than 10%. This year, I'd say we're up closer to 40. Nice. I haven't yeah. done the math Good. yet, but if you look at the list of people guiding, you might go on a trip and there might be four male guides. I'm not looking at, at evening that out. I'm looking at evening out the total, the distribution. Guide, total distribution of the guides. Yeah. Um, and I have a lot of guides that will come in and guide for one day, and I'm fine with that. If I can get one guide one day on a Saturday, to me, that's a major bonus. That that's you, my busiest day. That gets... <laughs> It counts almost as much as a guide uh, on a every day of the week because Saturday is the biggest day, and I need like a whole ton of extra guides yeah. on Saturdays. So it helps spread out the pressure of the festival, and it helps spread out the opportunity of the festival. The problem is the festival is such a big impact on all our local nature sites that it's hard to get people to have extra time off to come on the festivals because mm-hmm. they're busy meeting the sites because they're busy meeting the groups at the sites or they're up at the vendors booth and they can only work so many hours and then the pumpkin time they're not allowed to work anymore it's overtime <laughs> yeah you know and the site won't pay them overtime so you know a lot of these people have come on their day off to improve their skills and the festival does um, twice now we've offered a, a training where John Dunn has come in early and offered a training for our local guides before the festival starts. That's mm-hmm. awesome. And we've also had a, a training program through our local chapter, the Association of Nature Center Administrators, where we have offered bird training. And I've taught quite a few of them in the past. Um, they would have a training every month about something. And when Art. they would come to birds, I would often talk about sparrows. I did a workshop on shorebirds. I did it's just a variety of different topics. And you get the same people coming back, but you have them learning different things. And what John Dunn comes in and talks about is, here's this professional bird guide talking about how to manage people. Yeah, that, that's he's not coming in to talk thing. about that's the that's the biggest thing. Yeah, and it's it's very true that I can work a lot more with people who are personable and treat the participants with respect and try to get everybody included in the field mm-hmm. trip and feeling like they're participating in the field trip. To me, those are much better guides than the the world's leading expert on feather edges and some obscure group of birds. <laughs> yeah. you know, they're they're great people to know and have, and I mm-hmm. love them dearly. I know a lot of people like that, and in some ways, I'm, one of my multi-personas is one of those people. Yeah, I am a feather edge plumage, let me see the bird in the hand, let's work, go work with specimens. That's very much my background. Yeah, But that's not something that I... It, it's a door I crack open on field trips. I might talk about... Well, if, if I could see the top of the folded wing on the kingbird, I could tell you if it was couches or tropical. But since I can't often see the top of the folded wing on the kingbird, I'm waiting for it to sing or call. And mm-hmm. when it sings or calls, we'll know what it is. So I at least say there is a way to tell them apart, because yeah. when you see them in a specimen drawer, they're all labeled. And here's the tropicals, and there's the couches, and there's not a whole lot of mysteries. Yeah. Right? They know what they are. But, so that, and that's why. So there's different characters you can look at. But I don't need to sit and tell them which primaries it's between, and it's just you're looking for a bigger gap in the folded wing, and we don't and often probably see not that part of the wing. <laughs> yeah, I've seen it really well in a bird that was in a ditch, and how often do you see a kingbird sitting down below in a ditch? Right. <laughs> Although if it's a cold and windy day, sometimes they'll do that. But someone who's personable and outgoing and can include the group and get the group excited about what they're doing can guide with anyone. Yeah. Can guide with absolutely anyone, and is always welcome here at the festival. So is that, that and it, the advice you'd give to someone who's looking to do this sort of thing professionally, like get to know people and be able to, you know, interact more with people rather than focusing on something else? or R- Rather what, than focusing like, like on the, science yeah. or focusing on Well, focus on skills. your passion. What's your passion? Is your passion science? Then you should focus on science. Mm-hmm. If, if your passion is taking people out and getting them excited about birds, by all means do that. But if it's not your passion, the shoe won't fit no matter what. Yeah, It's always going to pinch your toes. It has to match you. And I'm a major league introvert. I am very much a person that leaves the festival, leaves guiding a bus trip load of people, and I'll go and, you know, go into <laughs> a, go into into a, a cave and just, you know, stress relief for a little while. I need to go be alone for a while. I yeah. don't, you know, I, I'll even just go birding alone. But I really enjoy taking people out and sharing birds with them and getting them excited about birds, getting them questioning what they're seeing the birds do. Mm-hmm. I, I was almost a bird behaviorist. One of the many things I was almost. But I love watching <laughs> birds be silly. 
Yeah. It's incredible to just sit and watch birds be silly. Oh, the Chattawakas are kings oh of that. Oh, my gosh. Oh, well, yeah. And the Green Jays. <laughs> yes. I yeah. mean, uh, any bird with too much mascara that's going around <laughs> doing all those yeah, silly things. Yeah, the Kiskadees at Santa uh, Ana kiss, today. Yeah. Yeah. They, they were, doing some were like crazy teenage stuff. boys flying around. Yeah. <laughs> So we also have an initiative that I started where we started bringing guides up from Mexico, and that's had a huge impact on the lives of individuals, but also on the recognition of Mexico as a place to go birding and making that personal connection where people then turned around and went to Mexico because they met a guide at the festival. They went to Mexico and went on a birding trip in Mexico. Oh, yeah. So this year we have four guides from Mexico, and they're often the same four guides that come, but other guides have come for a year or two. And hopefully we'll come back again. As we just don't have room for everybody that would like to come as a guide. I often say, you know, my role is to stand with a baseball bat and try to keep the numbers down. <laughs> but um, it's a, you know, it's a fine line between having a good diversity of people and and having everybody that wants to guide guide. There's, there's we can't afford them all, but we'd love to have yeah. them all. So looking forward to the future, um, what do you what do you think is going to happen that's new for 2019 or what are we? What are we looking forward to for next year? For anybody there's who would always like changes. to come, there's always new trips. There's always wrinkles. You know, the guides um, will sit and talk about we should do a trip that does whatever. And one of the suggestions is we should do a trip that goes along the uh, Arroyo Colorado on shore. Oh. We have a boat trip that goes out from the Arroyo Colorado out to the the Spoil Islands out there with mm-hmm. a a warden who works out there and. Uh, her boat can only hold four people at a time so it's a it's a one van trip with eight people and it sells out the first day and all it fits is eight people and you hope the weather's good enough that she can go out and that'd be rough yeah but there's a lot of places along the arroyo colorado that are underburdened this year we did battlefield and birds which Mm -hmm. was much more focused on on the wars on the last war of the civil war which actually happened after the civil war ended and the first battle of the Mexican-American War. Hmm. Would, so they visited both battlefields, and they had an interpreter from Palo Alto oh, that's cool. go along with them. And they wow. visited Palo Alto and Palmito Hill, two sites that we never do much with. We were doing more with trips to Boca Chica, which is another open coastal area that we never used to run. used to be you go to Sable Palm, and then at the end they'd say, and if time allows, we'll go out Boca Chica. So they'd run and like five miles allows. down. And time never allows. They, yeah. But if they, time did allow, they'd go five miles down on the bus, turn the bus around, and leave. And that would be all they'd do. And I was yeah. like, this is just... What's the point? There's so much more to Boca Chica. What's the point? Yeah. So let's do some more. Do, do an actual trip do all an the way there. Do an actual trip the whole day, the whole morning. Let's just go out to Boca Chica. Yeah. If you don't have a cold front day, it's a great trip. <laughs> I say, was it was it today with the cold front when they went they out there? They did two or three days. It's a popular trip. Really? Yeah, we, they did two or three days of Boca Chica. Well, because because going to Boca Chica, that's when you you drive past the border patrol, right? Right. You, the border patrol check station, and then you just keep keep on going keep all the way going. out to the beach. All the way out to the beach. Which is yeah. th- that beach is on the little spit that's just on the just north side of the Rio, right? As the Rio is spitting out. It's about three or four miles north of the Rio, okay. and it's three or four miles up to the jetty. And so if, if you're out there and the tide is zone. low and it's well, it's a it's a fisherman zone and a birder yeah. zone. If you haven't been out there, we need to we, go out there. We've, we've been out there once, but it was yeah. once. We were looking yeah. for sand dollars. <laughs> yeah. We were, we were right. looking for birds. And sea beans. <laughs> oh, see, yeah, we were mostly it looking for right sea beans. It was right after the Master yeah. Naturalist, or the, the talk. At yeah, the Na- talk at Native Plant yeah. Project, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, every, every year <laughs> things change. Every year the field trips are changed. The same traditional field trips, I hope. We'll all be there next year. Yeah. That's hoping that there isn't destruction from the border wall, that we don't lose access to Benson Rio Grande Valley yeah. State yes. Park, that we don't lose, uh, you know, some of our local sites. So I'm I'm really hoping that that's that's the case, and we can continue to oh, run yeah. those Absolutely. traditional trips. And they were very popular trips this year. Those trips to sites that were under threat of closure from the border wall were very very popular this year well and and this year when um the day that hannah and i led out to benson was the day that all the commissioners the tpwd commissioners were at benson and they all saw us. so they all saw a giant tour bus driving through and there was probably eight or ten other groups that weren't associated with the they were they were here for the festival but not on a trip with us right they were all there so the park was packed and you had the commissioners there seeing hundreds of people Meandering around, using, using the park and, for what it's yeah. using the, the park purpose. for what it's there for, right? And so that's that's got to be something. The, that's got to be worth something. The habitat in the park is critical to the wildlife of the area. Oh, yeah. We've lost ninety six percent of our native habitat in that county, mm-hmm. Hidalgo County. 
we, we've lost so much of our native forested habitat. And here's this little patch of Benson. And if it were lost, the wildlife would be impacted, but the oh, humans would be even more impacted. All the people that can use that park right now and see what a forest should look like in this area mm-hmm. and, and you know, see our native trees and our native wildlife. And it's a great place to take a family for a picnic. Oh, yeah. And it's a very heavily used park. And yeah, to for, lose for, for that access and, and, and that connection of those humans who grew up going to that park and closing it off would be terrible. Oh, awful, yeah. Yeah, it would just be awful. That would be the is a, a strike to the wildlife, but it's a huge strike to the local community. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Well, um, yeah. I, we want to thank you so much for inviting us to guide at the festival. Yeah, we're like, having we're having a blast. Yeah, we you know we haven't <laughs> well, been back you, for a year, and we just we, we miss it so much, and this brings it all, all the memories back coming to Benson and seeing it and just meeting all the friends that we have that we've made in yeah. the last year that we we guided. I mean, it's an incredible community of people. It really is. And it's so it's been so much fun to see the guides receiving these leaders in training, these young people. I think one was 15. Oh. So Oh, really? Yeah, and and treating them as equals and pulling them aside and giving them tips and then putting them back back out throwing them back in the shark tank. It's been it's been really great to see the the reception that our new leaders, our future leaders have gotten. And yeah. I really look forward to working with more of them because some of the young guides we've brought in the past that we brought in at like high school age, end of high school age, um, are running tour companies now. They're in research with birds, but they they've got those people skills that oh, yeah. you know they'll succeed whatever they want to do. And we're really recruiting young, young guides again. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's like that's the problem is they they never stay the same age. You always need new ones. <laughs> I was gonna say we only have a couple more years. Then. We're still young. No. We're not even. No, young. No, no, we're no, not no. even young anymore. You haven't <laughs> aged out. You haven't aged out. Okay. But, but it, you know, it's, it's it is really nice to have that element of those super young birders who grew yeah. up with all these digital tools that we didn't have when mm-hmm. we started oh, birding. Yeah. And I'm probably. Right? A lot oh, older yeah. than you guys. But, I mean, when I started, it was like a field guide under the covers, and that was all I had. And if I wanted to listen to bird songs, it was a record that I checked out of the library. Oh, my gosh. Oh, man. Yeah, I didn't even have cassette tapes yet. It was wow. dark ages. And, I, you know, I always had the, the Peterson field guide either east or west checked out so I could listen to bird songs. <laughs> and that was the only way I could do it was on a, on a turntable. That's that great. I don't it. think I've ever seen a, a, a record we'll of bird, bird calls. Oh, yeah. You need to go that's, to a garage sale. That's really cool. <laughs> oh, my gosh. As we, 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 we collect old field guides. That'd be cool to uh-huh. collect some stuff like that. Because yeah. we, we, what's our oldest field guide? It's like from the 20s? I, yeah, I've got my great-grandma's from like the 20s. Oh, neat. Yeah, so we, we have field guides going all the way back to the 20s, just random. I th- we, we have like at least 100. Field, just field, <laughs> we have a lot of money. They all cover the same birds. They're just, oh, yeah. But it's, yeah. it's exciting to have these old old things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you for sitting down with us. It was, it was, fun, it was to fun talking. To I'm glad, yeah. glad you're willing to sit down and take some time out of your day. <laughs> yeah, you're I know you're busy. busy as I got to go out. hear Steve Howell. But so, oh, so do yeah, you. of course. Oh, geez, yeah. Okay, well, thank yeah, you. So, yeah, thank you. <laughs> we want to thank Mary again for inviting us to participate again, and we owe it to her to, that we're able to attend and have such a wonderful experience year after year. So I hope it came across in the interview how passionate Mary is about ensuring that um, that she's doing her part as a leader within the community and uh, to become to make the community as inclusive as possible um, and to pull women and people of under underrepresented communities into the fold as guides and like to more better represent the community. Yeah, definitely. I think she does a great job at it. Um, like she had said, the diversity of guides has greatly increased since she's been there. And a lot of them return because, you know, she's such a great person to work with as well as everybody else at the festival. I know that's one reason why we keep coming back other than it's just a whole lot of fun and we like seeing yeah, a lot of A lot of cool birds. <laughs> um, so we had just a blast at the festival, but we were so busy both leading the trips and then afterwards trying to get interviews for this, socializing with friends we hadn't seen in a year, and chasing rarities with some birding celebrities. Yeah. So we led trips every single day of the festival. Um, there, we went to most of the pretty popular locations. Um, we went to Benson Rio Grande Valley State Park, uh, Santa Ana National Wildlife Refuge. We took a pontoon trip um, down on the Rio, um, which went up to Anzal Duas Park, uh, Anzal Duas County Park. Um, and then we had a really long day up to the Upper Valley to go to a real small little place, uh, Salinino, 
and then uh, Falcon State Park, and then also we did a big day van, so we had a full schedule. Which, a big day van and a paratrip. Oh, and a paratrip. I forgot all about the paratrip. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Which, a big day van, uh, it was a completely new experience for us. It was most of the day with up to eight participants in which we scoured the whole valley using a route that you and I had come up with. Yeah. Um, just... You know, from our experience burning the area and then talking to a couple other people who have participated before in the big days. And the goal is to see the highest bird total and beat the other four teams. Oh, yeah. Well, we came in last. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) But according to our participants, we had the most fun. And shout out to you, Van Number 5. We had a great time. We saw 120 birds. Oh, yeah. Species. It's a lot of birds. It's just a lot. Yeah. I think even though maybe we didn't win, like, in total number of birds, we we definitely had a great time. Oh, yeah. And everyone got lifers. Oh, yeah. Tons of lifers. Yeah. They were so excited. A little different... It was a new experience. Yeah, it was, new. it was a lot of fun. It was a ton of fun, yeah. So we had tacos. Oh, delicious tacos, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't our fault, though. The participants, they wanted the tacos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everybody wants tacos. Yeah, so the last day of the festival, um, one of our friends, uh, Chris Benish, um, he asked if we wanted to go looking for the roadside hawk at the National Butterfly Center. And, I mean... Obviously, we said, of course. And that roadside hawk, it was it was crazy when we were down there. There was one that was seen at Santa Ana, possibly. Yeah. And then, like, the next day, it was seen at um, the Butterfly Center briefly, and then at Benson briefly. And everybody was like, what's going on with these roadside hawks? Like, nobody really knew what was happening. And then, finally, somebody got, like, a short little video, and people then went to go, like, stake it out. So, we went, like, the day after everybody had, like, planned to stake it out. Yeah. And there were only a couple sightings during that time. Yeah, but Chris did warn us that he wouldn't take us to go with him <laughs> if we were going to be babies about it. Like, he didn't want us to go out there and spend an hour or an hour and a half and leave because we didn't we weren't finding the bird. So we had to make a promise to him that we weren't going to be babies. Yeah. I we weren't going to be birding babies. I had to hold my bladder because I have to pee like every hour. <laughs> Um, and to our surprise, Richard Crosley wanted to hang along with us and he was the, you know, he's the Richard Crosley, the road, the field guides, which is just crazy. Uh, and this is basically what birding in the Valley is about. Just getting out and seeing birds, regardless of who you are and like how many field guides you've written. It just, everybody goes out to see these, these birds out here. Oh yeah. Cause they're, they're amazing birds. Even, even when they're not like super, like the mega rarities, like a roadside hawk, but just any of the birds, the apple metal falcons and stuff. You just, yeah, or the you get green up, jays. The green jays. You, you get you get out to go see a bird that is just unique to the area. Yeah, it's like um, like on the way back, Richard Crosley wanted to take some photos of parakeets, of the green yeah, parakeets. Some green parakeets which, in flight, <laughs> which aren't like rare at all. But not, not for know, that area, but he but said rare around the country. And he said he hadn't seen them in years, so it's it's just cool that you get to go to a place where these things exist, and you know you get to meet people who are interested in it too. Yeah. Yeah, and like way back on our first day in the Rio Grande Valley five years ago, we went birding out at Estereano Grande State Park, and we ran into Kevin Carlson. He wrote the Shorebird Guide, among plenty of other guides that he's written, and he helped us find our um, our life for common paraki. That's just what you get in the valley. Yeah, you just see people that wrote field guides, are <laughs> birding famous, and... They're just out there helping everyone else. They're birding like everyone else is birding. So when you go to the festival, bring your um, bring your library of books. You'll yeah. get lots of them autographed. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, enough about how much fun we had. Uh, we want you guys to go to the Rio Grande Valley soon, too, and have that much fun. But let's listen to our interview with Javier de Leon and Monica Barrera. They are some of our great friends. Javier was the assistant superintendent at Benson State Park when I started. And he was a part of the hiring panel. And I just knew I wanted to work with him when I interviewed by phone from the Oregon coast. And I had to go out to a marina to get cell phone service. And um, as we were talking, he said something about the goals in the background calling during my interview. And, you know, I mentioned, oh, they're human's goals. And he said something about like, oh, I guess that's my life or human goal. <laughs> and just at that moment, I was like, oh, this guy's going to be a lot of fun to work with. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and he is a lot of fun. And since since the initial interview and going down and working there, we've we've worked with him and Monica um, quite a bit with the Texas Master Naturalist. And we came, became good friends with both of them. Yeah, we look forward to seeing them every time we go. Oh, yeah. And we're so glad that they had a little time to sit down with us and provide some great insight into birding in the Rio Grande Valley. So, enjoy. So, we'll start off. Um, we're sitting here with uh, Javier and Monica. If, uh, if you guys want to introduce yourselves, uh, 
give us a little bit of background on what you guys do down here in the Rio Grande Valley. Okay, I'll let Monica go first. Okay. I'm Monica Barrera. I'm an interpretive naturalist at the Annenberg Scenic Wetlands and World Birding Center. And uh, I'm originally from Rio Grande City. And so um, I just basically do uh, a variety of nature things like bird walks, butterfly walks, um, landscaping. I work a lot with plants. I love the native plants down here. Um, just, you know, basically nature stuff. Yeah. Okay, and I'm Javier De Leon. I'm the park superintendent here at Estero Llano Grande State Park. And um, I've been doing this for four years. Before that, I worked at Benson State Park for four years. Before that, I was at the Edinburgh Burning Center for two and a half years. And before that, I was at the uh, National Butterfly Center for two years. Uh, and I'm native here to the Rio Grande Valley. Um, so, uh, pretty passionate about nature. So which which city did you grow up in down here? Harlingen. Harlingen? Okay. Yep. It's yep. like two ends of the valley. Right. Rio yeah. Grande City <laughs> and then Harlingen down yeah. down there. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and we're gonna I we should preface this that we're sitting outside of Estero Grande State Park in Wasico and there's lots of things flying around and making calls. So you might I be able to identify some of the black bellied whistling ducks. I think I heard a chachalaca maybe kinda do its little purry call in the background. Um, green jays are definitely flying around, so be listening for the background noises too. Hopefully it's not too annoying. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, um, you guys told us a little bit about yourself. So, um, Monica, you said you're a naturalist at Edinburgh and you do a lot of classes. Are you working with mostly like kids or adults? I mostly work with adults. I do programs occasionally for families and children, um, but my main focus is the adults and it's just classes on birding butterfly identification as well as landscaping um, and I also coordinate volunteers and such okay awesome so so what sort of uh, background do you have before you started started doing the naturalist thing for for a paid job you know I uh, started there pretty soon after college I went to okay the university here, which back then it was UTPA, you know, it's UTRGV, <laughs> uh, and I studied biology and I always knew that I loved being outdoors. In fact, growing up in, in Rio Grande City, I, I, one of the things I used to always do was um, uh, play a lot with the plants. The plants always caught my attention, so by the time I got to the university, I knew I wanted to do something outdoors. Um, I just didn't know what. Yeah. And so... I, one of the biology classes, we actually studied plants in depth, and I was like, whoa, you can do this. So, um, and then while I was there, I actually wor started working at the nursery there, at the plant nursery there at the uh, birding center, and from there, I just kept moving up. So yeah. that's basically... So you start, started off in plants and mm -hmm. worked your way towards every other bit of uh, stuff. Yep. yep, yeah, and then I took, you know, by, that, by the time I graduated, I took, you know, birding classes and all that, and so I kind of realized that it all connects, and so through plants, I started learning the butterflies and the birds, because everything is so interconnected, and so, yeah. yeah. Okay, and Javier, um, as superintendent, so you've had a couple different positions in state parks. Um, superintendent, do you get out as much as you'd like to, or is it mostly just like paperwork? Uh, I'd like to say I get out a lot, but uh, <laughs> there is a lot of paperwork involved. Um, you know, I, I like to think of it as I'm in the office looking at spreadsheets so other staff doesn't have to do it. Uh, I do try to do as much as I can um, outside the office, so, you know, um, Promoting the outdoors and outdoor education, environmental education is very important. So, you know, if, if there is a school that wants to do a uh, school field trip for, you know, 120 kids one day and we're short volunteers or we're short a staff member, um, I'll clear my schedule out so I can help out so we can uh, kind of make that happen. Um, this past year, we, we, uh, we reached out to every fifth grader in the town of Mercedes uh, wow. which is uh, technically that's where we're in, um, the town that Estero is in. And it was, uh, it sounds really good, but it's only about 270 kids. But, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but we, it's all of them. But it's all of them. <laughs> all 270. One. So there was a couple of days where they needed, they needed some, uh, some help, so I, so I jumped in and um, we looked at uh, aquatic invertebrates with the kids, and it was a lot of fun. So, so I do try to, try to you know, stay connected to, to the nature world. And, and in my job at Estero Grande at World Birding Center, you kind of have to uh, because you have to, you know, speak the language and keep up to date um, with everything that's going on because that's our, that's our bread and butter, you know, the, 
the birds and butterflies and plants. So you have to stay connected. Well, do you know how many field trips came out here for the Rio Grande Valley Birding Festival? Oh, Wednesday was crazy. Um, I think we had six here. Oh my gosh. Uh, because there's the, the big day vans would come by Estero, and yeah. then we had a, a Birding 101, uh, some photography, two or three photography workshops, and then um, some of the, there were several smaller field trips, and then on Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday, we had the bus loads, uh, bus load of birders come here. So I heard on, on Saturday there was over 100 people here on the deck at the birding, at the at Estereana oh my gosh. with the birding festival. That's a lot of people. It's a, it's a yeah. great place for photos, but that's a lot of people. <laughs> was, yeah, just some, almost as many people as there are whistling ducks. Um, almost. So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, but it's uh, I try to I try to be out of the office. Unfortunately, I do have a lot of office time. But yeah. that's, that's what comes with the territory. It's the nature of the beast. Yep. That's some of my favorite days at Benson, though, and Javier would just be like, let's go outside. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it was like, okay, we're going to have an adventure. It's a beautiful day. You can't be inside. There's, yeah. no, there's no reason to be sitting in front of the computer when it's not a million degrees out. Right, right. Let's go out. It's comfortable outside. The birds are around. Yeah. yeah. So you guys both grew up in the Rio Grande Valley. How has uh, the birding culture changed since you guys have been a part of it? Good question. So, um, I think <clears throat> when I when I first started becoming aware of birding, uh, it wasn't until I was maybe 19, 18 or 19, and um, you know I've only been around birding since 2003. But from from what I hear, there's there are a fair amount of local birders. Uh, there's more Hispanic birders uh, birding in the valley. Um, He's good. Roy Rodriguez, right, right. Yeah, Roy Rodriguez, who's out at uh, Benson, Rio Grande Valley State Park. Um, you know, he was telling me when he started birding, which is in the mid-90s, and there were hardly any Hispanic birders in the valley. And, you know, that's kind of one of the benefits or one of the, uh, I should, one of the outcomes, I should say, of having so many nature centers and the world birding centers pop up. Uh, we're starting to see more, uh, more of the staff is here from the valley. Um, there's, uh, so there's more, you know, homegrown naturalists that kind of learn, um, the birds and butterflies here. So, you know, um, if we're talking about, um, how it's changed, I think that's one of the changes. It feels like there's more Hispanic birds, mm -hmm. which makes a lot of sense because down in deep South Texas, we're 90% uh, Hispanic. So, um, other, other than that, I think, um, you know, how birding has changed. You know, there's a lot more staff. Uh, the, the birding centers are a lot more connected, or mm -hmm. most of them. Uh, so if we wanted to have a training about Birding 101, like we offered on Tuesday, John Dunn, who's one of the co-authors for the Nat Geo Guide, he had a Birding 101, or how to lead a bird walk um, yeah. training. And that, I think there's like 15 or 16 uh, local nature center staff that attended that. Nice. Uh, that was uh, really good. So I think the... The cross-training, um, cooperation between nature centers, the demographics are a little bit different. Yeah, so is is the Upper Valley changing differently than than down here? Like, is Rio Grande City, like, doing anything slower, anything faster? Is it probably looking about the same in terms of the demographic change of local birders birding and stuff? More or or, or you've not been up in the Upper Valley for a while? <laughs> well, no, we go every once in a while. Now, I, I do notice that they're opening more um, nature trails and stuff, which is good. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they're, being, they're a little bit more aware of the birders and how birders like visiting Stark County yeah. for certain species. And so I do see, I have uh, noticed a little bit, of a slight change um, as far as them uh, catering to that a little bit. It's not as much as in the rest of the valley, but it's yeah. a good start. Um, and, you know, I know Roma Bluffs is out on its own, but the city of Roma has been doing a really good job at maintaining it open and making sure that there's staff there because they realize the importance of it for the birders. And stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. And it it's that Rio Grande Valley uh, or that festival. You guys were the only two guides for us that yes. still persisted? <laughs> no. So, yeah, Eric and I, I was trying to remember, was that 2015, I think it was because it was right before we left. Yeah, it was right, right before we left, yeah. Houston. Yeah, it was a, a migration festival at Rio Grande City. Yeah. I think the city at the time had some staff that was trying out different things. And I think that was 
I think the one and only migration oh. festival. Oh, that's too bad. Because yeah. because the city the city was um, Grande City was thinking about opening you know, you know nature trails. They're still there. The trails are still there. Yeah, that hike and bike trail yeah, out there. Right. Hiking. And they're they're develop they're thinking of how to develop it. Um, but you know, uh, after that year, the Rugrat City, the city itself, sent over two people to get trained in the Master Naturalist program. Oh, oh cool. cool! So I think they were kind of uh, looking into it, and uh, so at least they're kind of making the the beginning efforts of it. And they just wanted to kind of get involved in the whole uh, ecotourism and nature industry down here. Yeah. Well, it's, it's not as lush over there, but there's still there's still <laughs> oh, yeah. animals and plants yeah, and birds yeah, and everything. They're there. just not they're just not as lush as here at Estero with just like. Yep. You can't see through so. flower everywhere. Yeah. Right. But they have their own they have their own birds over oh, yeah. there in the in the It's, it's a whole new variety over there. Right. You got the drier stuff up there. Right, right. Yeah. Um what changes would you guys like to see in ecotourism in the valley? I think um you know, if we're thinking about the future, uh changes in ecotourism, I think um you know, the ecotourism um you know, that has developed so far. You know, this year was the 25th annual Rio Grande Valley Birding Festival. Um, so I think they've done a really good job of reaching out to the rest of the country to attract birders to the festival. When I started first going to birding festivals as a, um, you know, working the booth for the Edinburgh Birding Festival mm-hmm. back in 2007, 2008, or going on some of the field trips to, to be a guide in training, um, you know, I, I was wondering back then, like, how long can this go on? You know, eventually <laughs> they're going to run out of burgers, you know. Yeah. But it's, you know, um, in and uh, going strong. Um, so I think ecotourism and promoting the valley to the rest of the country, um, you know, the birding festival folks have done really well. I think um, in the future, something that we, we all need to work on, all the nature centers in the valley, is promoting nature to locals. Because, um, you know, there's the first step in, in uh, growing advocates is making people aware of what they have. Um, so, you know, that's why it's so important for, to promote environmental education at parks for students. Um, and eventually those, those students will grow up. Uh, they'll bring their parents back to the park. Uh, so just creating awareness within the valley is very important creating experiences to where, you know, the valley appreciates, locals in the valley appreciate how much nature around them is uh, really important. Um, there's, if you go to Google Earth and you go to satellite images and you see Reynosa or Matamoros, which are the border towns across the river, uh, those cities were established in the 1740s. Um, and if you look at them, there's just all cement. There are no trees. And, you know, they... If the cities were developed differently, they could be as lush as some of the places we have in the Rio Grande Valley, but uh, but it's not. And uh, you know, I think as we look to the future, um, really, um, geese. Oh, yeah, geese oh, yeah. flying yeah. over. Yeah, white uh, geese. Short break for bird watching. Right. Yeah. Like uh, I said, we're outside. <laughs> so as we look towards as we look towards the future, um, I think we just have to uh, keep in mind uh, development of the valley. You know, are we going to um, put nature first, realize what a special subtropical paradise this is, or are we going to uh, not do that and just kind of let nature go by the wayside and what a terrible loss that would be. So as far as ecotourism, I think there's a lot of homegrown ecotourism that could happen, and that's something that, that I try to promote. Um, within our staff just by promoting um, more visitation from locals and um, and yeah that's uh, just promoting the valley to the locals Any okay. I agree yeah and I think I think a lot of that starts with hopefully I'll, I'll make sense but a lot of that starts <laughs> I'm sure with, sense. Uh, yeah, um, with realizing what type of habitat we have here because what I see a lot in our locals is they see um, you know, when they think about a forest, they think about everything up north, and they don't understand. Yeah, like that big pine habitat, trees and stuff. Mm, the habitat down here is not like a forest per se, but it's habitat. It's thorn scrub. It's it's what we've got down here, and just yeah. because it doesn't look like, you know, it does in the movies or in TV, it doesn't mean it's not as important, and it's not as cool because you can like discover so many things. And so I think it's 
it's important to, I guess, emphasize the importance of the plants. And a lot of nature sites do that by uh, having a lot of the plants available, uh, maintaining them. Some sites like to maintain them, uh, I guess, in a way that'll give an example of what they would look like in a home or in a yard, yeah. a personal yard. Um, well, is that, that's what Edinburgh um, <laughs> pretty much has. You guys have little, little gardens that are yes. pretty well manicured in terms of like what, what you would see if you were to plant that at your house, yes. kind of the way you'd want it to look. Yes, definitely. Yeah. We try to do that. We try to trim them um, uh, or hedge them or just manicure the plants uh, in a way that showcases how they can behave in the yard so that mm -hmm. people don't think, oh, they're a wild plant that's going to go crazy. And that way they know, hey, I can have this as sort of a local ornamental if I want. Mm -hmm. So, and it starts there, you know. So, yeah. So, a lot of the adults you get in your classes are they a lot of winter Texans or more locals? I get more winter Texans, but I have noticed um, it, we always try to get our locals. And I, in in the time that I've been there, I have noticed quite a few more attending landscaping oh, awesome. classes or birding and their local parents, local, you know, just local adults that are looking for uh, things to do, which is real nice. That's great. Um, and yeah, and then they come back, they bring their families and it's great. Well, yeah, the, the kids force their parents to get interested yeah. in it because the kids are interested. <laughs> yes. That, that definitely helps. That's like one step towards getting every generation involved in it. If the kids are obsessed with it, then the yes, parents kind of are obligated to follow, and yep. and then and then they see it, and like when you come out here, you can't help but like especially with the black belly whistling ducks like out there in front. There's fifteen hundred. At least fifteen hundred out there. Like yes. no no problem. Probably over two thousand. There's We're ridiculous numbers too. of ducks out there right now. We should and we should wrap up the interview. Whenever we do wrap it up, we'll just walk out to the deck so you can see so you can hear how. So you can see why we're having it back here behind the office. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're back in an alcove, kind of behind on the side of a trail, recording this. Yeah. So it's a little, a little hidden, but uh, still can hear the ducks. Yeah. yeah, I think you can hear the ducks from anywhere in the park right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah, that's definitely a favorite. So, is there anything that you guys would want people? Maybe we we do get some listeners from different places around the world. And also, you know, elsewhere throughout the U.S. Is there Not something? That many, but... <laughs> the so Literally dozens. Dozens. <laughs> yeah. Is there something you guys would want people that haven't visited the Valley to know about coming to the Valley? I think, um, you know, at, at, at this point, uh, I'm not going to talk about politics, but uh, the current political climate um, really paints the Valley as a uh, war zone. And it's not a war zone. Um, you know, I think the, uh, the Sparrow just agreed with me. <laughs> um, we're not a war zone. It's a very safe per capita. Um, some of the bigger cities here uh, are safer than, um, than many cities in the U.S. You know, so when, when you hear the word border, that we're a border town, that's uh, the first thing a lot of people think of. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to say there isn't any trouble, uh, you know, in the valley or along the border, but for the most part, it's it's completely safe. Law enforcement does a fabulous job in keeping the, the citizens safe. So um, the valley is, uh, is a place where you can pick up 40 lifers in a weekend, um, you know, a few more. If you stick around for uh, more than a couple of days, you'll get some of the rare... The really rare RGB birds like hook-billed kites or, yeah. you know, you can go try to find white-collared seed eaters or red-billed pigeons. And that's aside from the uh, green jays, chachalacas, orioles. And that are everywhere. That yeah. are everywhere. <laughs> so, the green jays were just calling a few minutes I ago. I know. So. Shut up already, guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, so for, for, for people that have never visited the valley, uh, I uh, enjoy uh, invite you all to, to join us down here. Um, you know, you come for the birds and you stay because of the food. Uh, did oh, you yeah. talk about Tacos. food? Oh, the yeah. food's amazing. Mm -hmm. yeah. What's your favorite restaurant? Oh, what's yours? I have so many. Okay, so <laughs> um, there's a lot of really Sorry, good restaurants. <laughs> but, but I do have to mention Stripes Tacos. Yes. Oh, yeah. yes. So our, our big day van, we had to... We they, they, they stop yeah, during, the, yes. during the big day, the people were like, can we stop for tacos? Yes. <laughs> it's like, all right, we're stopping at Stripes. I think I made them all hungry, though, because I was talking about tacos. <laughs> so the, the, the Laredo Taco Company did something genius, which is all the moms and grandmas that are cooking fabulous food at home, invite, well, gave them jobs so they can cook tacos at gas stations. And um, 
you know, you get homemade tortillas and homemade Mexican, genuine Mexican food. That's um, so, I, so it's not, you know, it's not like a 11 out of 10, uh, but it's a solid eight and they're consistent. <laughs> and, you know, you can find good tacos, you know, anywhere in the valley. And they, they open at six. So if you're going to do a big day, um, you know, you start with some tacos, head over to San Aleño and get get some tacos there and work your way down to the yeah work get, your way down get, get your hook build your zone tail your seed eater all out of the way yeah and then while you're know. eating your tacos and then work your way back down the valley yeah slowly yeah and by the time <laughs> you get to the island you'll have uh you know over 100 birds on your list at least oh yeah so um yeah it's definitely a magical place um you the culture is wonderful um and yeah, I mean, you can come for the birds and then you end up getting sucked into something else because there's so many plants, there's so many butterflies, there's the culture itself, and then all the restaurants. We have like 20 million restaurants, which is awesome. <laughs> um, but it's definitely a great place to, to get to get to know and visit. Yeah. yeah. Well, you were saying you come down in a weekend and get 40 lifers, no problem. Hannah and I were, we counted up, we walked, we walked through a stair this morning for... About an hour and a half. I don't even think it was that long. Yeah, it was. Was was it that long? It was 100 minutes. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so we were here for an hour and a half, I guess. I didn't realize that long. But um, so we we wandered around, and we weren't super hardcore birding. We were just trying to enjoy. Since we just had five days. Enjoy a little bit of time. (laughs) A little little bit of quiet time for the last five days of just guiding and running around and directing people and stuff. And I think on our list, what did we count up? We counted up 28 birds that would have been lifers had we not have already been to the valley. Wow. And that's that's, that's just one walk, hour and a half, yeah. kind of wandering around one park. Like fifty-five. Yeah, fifty-five mm-hmm. species. Which back home, you know, we would probably average twenty-five to thirty species for a walk. And that's yeah. and that's that's fairly average for most sites down here in the valley. You, yeah. you go to Benson, you can get similar lists. You go up to Salinino, yeah. up past Rio Grande City, up in the upper valley, and you can get similar lists like that. Yeah. And I do have to say, you know, when we're talking about the future of the area, um, you know. Those birds are here because we have the habitat. Oh, yeah. You know, so what would happen if, you know, this kind of habitat, it's actually, it's being studied right now by some folks about uh, how much habitat is needed for some of these tropical birds, how much habitat do you need for, you know, to get a green jay or Altamira oriole in your backyard. Um, so, you know, what would happen if, uh, if we went in the positive direction towards nature in the next 50 years? You know, there'd be even more birds everywhere, so... That would be fantastic. Get some, get some more mega rarities to show up. Yeah, yeah, and there's and there's people putting science behind it right now, so that's a great, great part. You guys, have anything else you want to add? No. Well, thank you guys. No? Thank yeah, you guys. Th- yeah, yeah, thank thanks, you. Thanks for sitting down. It was it was nice to catch up with you guys after not seeing you for a whole year, yeah. or almost yeah. a whole year, wasn't it? Yeah, it's about a whole year. Yeah, about I was a whole year. In February, so, it was yeah. a hot yeah. year. So, so Javier in February. But. Yeah, I'm so glad yeah. to see you guys down here. And um, hopefully we'll see you next year. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Fingers crossed. We'll actually be invited back. We didn't, uh, we didn't piss anyone off too much. Yeah, yeah. no, I think we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, great. So I want to echo what Javier said about the border being safe. It's an incredible place, and to go birding and just generally experience everything that it has to offer. And it is not a war zone like it's being painted to be. Yeah, definitely. We believe that this area needs to be protected from the border wall and not even talking about the human factor, but just for the wildlife. There are so many bird species that wouldn't fly over a wall like an olive sparrow. I really doubt those would fly. I can't imagine that an olive sparrow. I've never fly, seen yeah. one fly over like five feet. <laughs> um, and it just would effectively barricade off populations of wildlife and just isolate them on one side or the other. And some birds, of course, and wildlife would adapt, but others wouldn't. And there's a lot of man like the ocelot and just different reptiles that definitely will not adapt and the only animals guaranteed to really adapt to the wall are humans yeah we're pretty adaptable um so not only is it going to disrupt it with a wall being there but the huge exclusion zone that's that has to be created on either side of the proposed wall that they use for patrolling it and maintenance of the wall it would destroy even larger chunks of the habitat just I think, what is 150 feet? It's something like it's on either side. On, it's, so it's a huge area. That's like 320 feet that yeah, it's, would just be empty. It's a, it's a lot, a giant clearing in places that are pristine habitat right now. That are Some some of it is just like the most pristine habitat along the Rio. Like old growth stuff. Old, old growth stuff that they would just bulldoze all that down just to put up this wall that 
people are going to adapt to. This this is just a completely pointless ploy because the people are going to get around it. They're going to figure it out, but it's going to destroy the habitat, the endangered habitat that supports the wildlife, and it attracts tourism. That is a huge economic driver for the entire Rio Grande Valley. Money. <laughs> it would just be so sad to think that the next year, if we get invited to go back to the Rio Grande Valley Bird yeah, Festival again, crossed. yeah, that we wouldn't be able to visit Benson Rio Grande Valley State Park. And that place has been so formative for our birding careers and for many others. Yeah. I know when I did my interview there, I think I got 15 lifers on the interview, yeah. which is just insane. You know, how many other places do you get to go like that? And Lloyd Benson Sr. and his family, when they donated the land to the State Parks Board, they envisioned that it would be a place for the future Texans and their children to enjoy. And with the building of the wall, his vision would effectively be dead. Yeah, so we implore you to continue visiting the Rio Grande Valley. And if you've never been there, get it on your list. If not for the birds, then for the gas station tacos. Oh, tacos. Laredo Taco Company. (laughs) (laughs) What's it, like 340 more days until we get to go back? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) well on that note um thank you so much for listening to our podcast we hope you enjoyed it and learned something we hope that maybe next year you'll consider going to the rio grande valley birding festival i feel like we've probably given you thousands of reasons at least a thousand reasons why you should go it's just it's a great time and if you have been to the festival please feel free to comment on our social media and tell us what your favorite part was of going to the festival it was the birds the guides you know the speakers please let us know. Um, Rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Music, anywhere else you listen to us. If you'd like to connect with us, please use uh, our Instagram pages, Hannah Goes Birding and Eric Goes Birding. On our Facebook page. Eric with a K. Eric with a K. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Hannah and Eric Go Birding is our Facebook. And, or email us at Hannah and Eric Go Birding at gmail.com. Tell us what you hated. Tell us what you liked. Share with your friends. Help us build following. And, Please, guys, let us know what your favorite thing was about the Rio Grande Valley Birding Festival, if you've been, or why you would consider going. Thank you. Oh, and uh, listen to these black belly whistling ducks. <laughs>